me extend my welcome to you if this is your first time visiting, uh, especially, and if you're relatively new here, please stick around. Knowing this congregation, I think they'd love to get to know you uh, and knowing how welcoming everyone is. Uh, speaking of getting to know one another, I uh, wonder whether you have a set of questions that you ask someone when you meet someone new. Uh, I'm in the business of meeting new people all the time on campus, so uh, I often think about these things. And you might start with basic questions like, what's your name? Where do you live? Uh, in university context, what do you study? What do you work uh, during the week or so? Uh, they are the common questions that you ask and you start with. But then, if you really want to get to know someone, uh, if you really want to know what ticks them as a person, you ask them, what do you love, don't you? What do you love? Uh, uh, what are your greatest passions and desires in life, your longings? Uh, what do you love? Because love reveals a lot about who we are. Uh, because more than anything else in life, uh, I think love governs the actions and course of our lives. Uh, I know some of you love tennis in this congregation. It's very well known for its finesse and skills in, uh, in the tennis court. And I can see that love uh, put into action as you go out to the court uh, week in and week out, in cold and in hot weather, in toil and hardship, in success and failure. And as you continue to do that, uh, your love uh, governs and, and uh, shapes the course of your life, doesn't it? Uh, but in all seriousness, that, that's a bit of a trivial example, but in all seriousness, your greatest passions your deepest longing or hunger, uh, in other words, what you love will govern the trajectory of your life. To a great extent, I think there is a truth in you are what you love because your life will be made out of what you love. That's the truth about love. And I think this is why the Apostle John stresses so much about the importance of loving one another in this epistle that we have been working together for the past five weeks or so. Uh, look at today's passage again in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, me, meaning beginning of the apostolic age, beginning uh, since Jesus Christ taught what this message is about, that we should love one another. Uh, John can almost summarize the whole gospel message with these simple words, that we should love one another. Because for John... Your love for the brother sitting next to you or behind you, your sister in front of you, tells a lot about who you are, what you are made out of, what or who governs your actions and pursuits in life. John will go on to say uh, in the next chapter in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love, that there are not too many uh, uh, verses in the Bible where it equates God is something. I think there's about four times that uh, God is light, God is consuming fire, and so on, and there is God is love. Uh, it is not simply God's habit to love somebody, but love is at the core of who God is. Therefore, it is impossible for a person to know this God who is love and to not love others. It is impossible for a person's greatest desire to be God, who is love, and hate one's brother or sister. The truth about love and loving God is that if you love God, 
You will love others, John says. And there I say, you will not only love others, but as you grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ, you will love loving others. You see, that's why the subject of loving others is so important for John. Your love for others testifies to your knowledge of God. It's not simply about being nice to each other or simply about being nice is what it means to be a Christian. However, another truth about love is that it needs to be cultivated. It needs to be worked at. Love is not something that is perfected naturally or automatically. It needs to be nourished, put into practice, and cultivated. Because in this fallen world, as we will see, love for another person is not something that is natural or easy for us who are naturally actually selfish and self-centered. Love involves will and commitment especially when the object of our love is another person. Uh, So in the first part of our passage, I think the Apostle John teaches us how we are to cultivate loving others by way of giving us first a negative example in verses 12 to 15, and then he gives us a positive example in verses 16 to 18. And finally, very characteristic of 1 John, John finishes off uh, by giving us words of assurance Uh, as we face challenges with our imperfect love for one another. So first, uh, negative example. Uh, After exhorting us to love one another and reminding us of the Christian message in verse 11, John talks about the Old Testament character Cain as a negative example whom we ought not to follow. Look at verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Uh, Troubling verse at first sight, isn't it? Um, How do you teach something like do not murder your brother? (laughs) I was trying to think about this. What's the implication for us? Um, Do not kill your brother? John, who do you think we are? It's almost offensive that he has to say this. I mean... At Student Bible Fellowship at 4 p.m. That I, uh, that I minister in, and youth group, uh, this is a very direct implication because there are students whom, if you give them the right opportunity, would really consider doing some serious harm to their brother or sister. I mean, it's the message that I need to preach each day in my household. You know, to, don't be like Cain. Uh, but in our context... I don't think there are too many of us who are thinking or contemplating about killing uh, your own brother or sister. I certainly hope not. Uh, maybe one or two, I can see the faces, but, but not, not too many. But what does it mean for us? I, I think the point of the passage lies in the second half of the verse. Why did he murder him? Why did Cain do this? John tells us because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Uh, Remember the story of Genesis 4 uh, from our reading? What happened was that Cain's casual attitude towards God was exposed by his brother's righteous attitudes. Abel, who loved and honored God. And Cain, instead of repenting and follow Abel's example in honoring God, he felt threatened by Abel and killed his brother. Uh, You see, if Genesis 4 teaches us anything about loving another person, loving another person in this fallen world, 
is that it is something that does not come naturally to us. Because one of the consequences of rejecting God is that we no longer relate to one another in self-giving, self-sacrificial love towards another person to which we were originally made by God for. Uh, back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, uh, the relationship between husband and wife is described in this way, b- before their rejection of God. Uh, the Bible says, verse 25 of Genesis 2, the man and his wife were both naked and one other ashamed. The point of the nakedness in this story is to tell us that the man and his wife were not worried. We're not ashamed. We're not fearful of one another because they could trust each other. That the wife knew husband would love her for her welfare, will not take her for his advantage or abuse her. Likewise, vice versa, that the husband knew the wife was there to support him no matter what, to love him. That, that was their mutual commitment and love towards one another. But then we see a profound change in their attitude to one another in Genesis 3. Uh, Remember the reading. They stop blaming each other. They even cover up. Even between husband and wife, the closest human love relationship you can have in this world, there is some sort of wall, separation, and guarding of heart. Loving another person in this world is difficult because since the fall, we no longer see another person primarily as someone to love and give ourselves to and also be loved by, but rather as a threat, a danger. Uh, To think of a simple example, I I think that's what shyness is about ultimately, isn't it? You know, fear of strangers, a fear of others whom you don't know. And and there is something right about that uh, because we live in a world where we cannot easily trust other people. You know, it'll be stupid to trust yourself wholeheartedly to someone that you don't know. And if you are like Cain, who have something to hide because you have done something wrong, then you really fear others. What if that person really finds about who I am, my dirty old secrets? And they might even expose you for who you really are. And in extreme circumstances, you might even try to get rid of them. And that's exactly what Cain did. And the Apostle John's point is that in this world, there will always be people who follow in the footsteps of Cain. Because we're still living in the world, living in a fallen world. People who dwell in darkness, people who hate righteousness... That's what last week's passage was about, wasn't it? Practice of sinning, righteousness, children of devil and children of God. People who see other people as a threat or barrier in pursuing their autonomy, uh, lawlessness, as in chapter 3, verse 4. And what is uh, exhortation to us? So don't be surprised if the world, still living under the shadow of death, in their rejection of God, in the vain pursuit of self-government, hates you. Verse 13, if you seek to do what is right, live according to God's will, loving others truly according to God's way, you will be hated. Don't be surprised when you receive hostility at your workplace. Hey, so-and-so is a killjoy. He goes to a Bible study group on a Friday night instead of coming out with us. 
Did you see what she wrote about homosexuality on her Facebook? Marriage is for a husband and wife? Who does she think she is? What about her view on abortion or euthanasia? What an insult to human rights and freedom. How old-fashioned. Did you see what he wrote about Donald Trump and how he will pray for the government? Oh, these saintly Christian acts. Do not be surprised if the world hates you, if the world whose way is selfishness, moral darkness, and ultimately death hates your love, hates your righteousness. Rather, remember this, John says in verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love one another. When we love one another, we know that we have fellowship with God. We have passed out of death into life and we will live forever with God, both now and forever. Because love is not something that just happens naturally to me. Love is not just a willpower that I can implement on myself. Having rejected God, self-centeredness is my natural habitat. I primarily see others as someone to be used for my advantage, someone to fear because they are better than me or they'll expose me, and therefore someone to compete against. But now this self-centered, egotistic heart is being replaced, albeit imperfectly, as we'll see, with love for another person. When we see that, we know we have passed out of death into life. When we see that in each other's growth in character in our lives, we know that we know God. Even though we, we may still dwell in this fallen world, we have had a dramatic shift in where we live, how we live, what we live for. That is why John says, in this occasion, this is what you have heard from the very beginning, that we should love one another. Uh, Speaking of love, however, has a danger of it being simply an abstract idea of thought. You know, especially these days, love can mean whatever uh, for uh, different people's ideas, like Charlie Brown in the Peanuts cartoon, uh, where he says, I love mankind, but it's the people next to me that I can't stand. So in verse 16, John reminds us what love is. John doesn't leave us to determine what we want love to be. That's too comfortable, isn't it? John reminds us what love is. Verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us. Before we move on quickly, you know, it's very easy to quickly move on. We've heard that before. I just want to slow down and ask you a question. Do you know this love? Do you know the love of Jesus for you? Everybody knows that Jesus died. But do you know that he died for you? He died for us. For you and I. Do you know at the heart of Jesus' death, the the Son of God taking the curse of God upon himself on the cross, in his body, 
At the heart of that was for you, that he had you in his mind, that he loved you. If you know this love, it has a power to transform your heart from darkness to light, from death to life, from hate to even laying down your life for another. Now, it's a challenging call, and uh, in many sense, we, have, we may be thankful to God that God hasn't given, yet given us uh, to put this into practice literally, uh, to lay down our life on another person. However, John says, even if it, you may not lay down your life like Jesus did for another, there's a practical way in which you can love others like Jesus loved. So in verse 17... But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So truth about love is that we must love in reality. Not abstract ideas or thought. And, and I must confess it's so easy for me to love other people in my own ideas and in abstract thinking with my talk, but not in reality. Love, another, this is another truth about love. Love can actually be seen in life. Love can actually be put into practice. And once again, I know a lot of people sometimes uh, who have not yet to trust in the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ uh, ask, you know, how do I know that God loves me? How do you know God loves you? Look at Jesus Christ. He laid down his life for you. Uh, brothers and sisters, let us, know, uh, let us know love more deeply each day by looking unto Jesus who laid down his life for us. Uh, loving another person is not our natural habitat. It's not just going to happen by leaving it there. But when we learn it from Jesus, by keep looking onto him, by keep being reminded that he laid down his life for us, let us have his love flood into our hearts. And from ours to others, and others to another, until the whole world is filled with the glory of God, as the waters fill the sea. Uh, now, we have spoken a lot about loving others as Jesus loved us. But if you are anything like me, uh, this challenge of loving others as Christ loved me sometimes troubles me because I'm so acutely aware of my failures. I know even just this week, even just yesterday, I did not love others as I ought to have loved. And John, uh, like a very good pastor, uh, Apostle John is well aware of our struggles. And he finishes off this part of his passage uh, by giving us words of assurance and comfort. So look with me again at verses 19 to 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. He knows everything. Uh, by this... Uh, what John has been speaking of all along in the previous verses, when we love one another, by this, 
in our love. We are assured that we are of the truth and that we have passed from death into life. But there are times when our hearts condemn us, when our conscience testifies to us that we have not loved as we ought to have loved. What do we do then? John says, the answer is not just looking inwardly with self-pity, but look upwards and outwards to God, who is great, who is greater than your heart. Uh, God is great stands at the ultimate truth of the whole Bible. Uh, The Old Testament in Psalms uh, always speaks about how great God is. Psalm 77, verse 13, Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like you? There is none like you. Psalm 86, verse 10, For you are great and do wondrous things. And this greatness of God is relevant to our accusing hearts because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God demonstrates his power in his compassionate mercy and love towards us. You know, God is someone who is infinitely powerful but infinitely loving. And that his power and love act together towards his people. God is great and nothing is hidden from his heart. He knows all our thoughts and deeds, our folly and guilt, our shame and disgrace. Yet, he loved us. John says uh, in the next chapter, verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When our heart condemns us, look unto God who loved us and sent his son for us. Look unto his son who laid down his life for us, who's risen from the dead, who now sits at God's right hand in heaven, interceding for our sins. Remember chapter 2, verse 1 to 2? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, or I reckon it's more like when anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Our hearts may condemn us for whatever reason. The immediate implication for the passage is condemnation that comes from not loving others as we ought. But in our current context, uh, I want to say we can broaden the implications. Sometimes our hearts may condemn us because of the hatred of the world that you are receiving. Sometimes our hearts may condemn us because even though we know that we have passed away from death into life, Living in this fallen world, uh, under the struggles against sin, under the shadow of death, is still very difficult, isn't it? It's still devastating to live in this fallen world. These condemnation often clouds our minds. They can become like a thick fog where you can't really see or think clearly. When that happens... Don't ignore it or deny it. John says, take it to God. God is greater. God is greater than any failures or troubles that you're going through right now. God is greater to receive 
uh, and help you in your time of need, whatever that need is. Take it to God. Take all your failures. Take all your sadness. Take all your anxiety and fear to him. He is greater. He is great to soothe your fear. He is great to comfort you in your sadness. And that's what John goes on to say in verse 21. Uh, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, uh, in other words, taking our condemning hearts to God and resting in his greatness and the forgiveness won for us in Jesus Christ, no longer our heart condemns us, we have confidence before God. We have confidence because we know that he knows us. He knows our weaknesses. He accepts us despite our failures because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have confidence before God. So what do you do uh, in the times of need, in the times of condemnation? Boldly ask for his help. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Because of who God is and what Jesus has done, we can bring our requests before God humbly yet boldly. Not with fear, but with confidence. Uh, Sometimes it is very easy for us uh, to be so uptight about our failures, so hard on ourselves for not being better, and so miserable about our state, uh, we lose confidence in the greatness of God. It sounds pious, but often, in my experience, that sort of self-pity or being harsh on yourself can sometimes be simply a form of inverted pride. As if God cannot forgive my sin because my sin is so much greater than who God is. Now, if we really rest in Christ and his forgiveness, take your failures to God, ask for his forgiveness and his help, John says, he will provide. He will answer your prayers. The last bit of verse 22 can be misread as if prayer is conditional to our obedience or God can be some sort of vending machine that we get whatever we want. Uh, No, no, I I think John later goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 14, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Uh, So what verse 22 is getting at is that as we seek to live in a way that pleases God, practicing his truth, practicing his love, our desires become molded more like his. And we ask that his will be done in our lives. And God will provide things that we need in our lives for his will to be done in our lives, in each of our contexts. Then what what is God's will and his commandment? John sums it up in verse 23. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. Uh, That's the final and fundamental truth about love and loving others. You must believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, The name is a reference to the whole person. Everything that Jesus stands for, everything that the gospel stands for, the message that Jesus is God's son who laid down his life for us and now risen as God's king to intercede for us and who will come back to destroy the works of the evil one completely, once and for all. We're going to sing about your name is Jesus after this. When you come to trust him, he has power to transform your heart. When you trust him, 
He is greater than any condemnation this world can bring. Believe in him and let him help you to lift your hearts. Let his love flow into your life so that you also become the channel of that love to others. Let him fix your love. John talked about do not love the world in chapter 2. Go back to him if that's the case. Let him fix your love so that you love loving others and loving God rather than loving what's in the world. Just as he loved you and gave himself up for you. I want to finish by sharing just one brief story with you in the hope that you will know that you are of the truth and you'll be reassured in your heart. Uh, As I said, I don't get to spend as much time in 9 a.m. church ministry life, uh, but it's a privilege even from the sideline as as an involved spectator uh, cheering for you and hearing from Huey uh, and and so on. And uh, I didn't have the... Uh, privilege, uh, like many of you did, of getting to know V very well. However, I was always loved by her welcoming uh, to church in the morning uh, as I walked through the back door, and I knew what was going on uh, later on through Huey. Uh, So Sharon and I, uh, our family prayed for her uh, ever since we found out, and just before her surgery, I I didn't want to disturb her, but at the same time, I I thought I wasn't disturbing her because I just wanted to let her know that we are praying for her. Uh, so we sent her our message, and she replied uh, with a short text message saying uh, th- these words. Thanks so much. I have been greatly encouraged by everyone. Their loving care and prayers for me. It really means a lot. Our, our dear sister knew that we have passed out of death into life uh, because of your love for one another. By this, we know that our faith is real, our love is genuine, and our God is work among us, within us, by his Holy Spirit, that we abide in him and he in us. So let me just encourage you. Keep up the good work. Uh, Let me encourage you with these words. As Apostle John says, This is the message we have heard from the very beginning, that we should love one another as Christ loved us. And let us keep seeking to do that more and more and grow, ever grow in confidence in God's love until our Lord Jesus Christ comes back to take us with him. Let's pray.